I want to start this morning by sharing a quick story that I came across as I was preparing today's message. There were two passengers who were seated next to each other on a commercial airline. One of them was a missionary, the other was a businessman. And not long after the plane took off, these two started to talk. And the missionary asked the businessman what he did for a living, to which he answered, I'm in big business. He said it confidently, I'm in big business. The missionary replied, really? So am I. The young man responded, well, my business covers the entire United States. To which he replied, well, I've traveled all over the world in connection with my business. The young man continued, I'm in partnership with my father. He's a millionaire. To which the missionary smiled and said, you know what, I too am in partnership with my father, but he's infinitely rich. The young man says once again to the missionary, you know what, we have representatives all over the United States. To which she replied, we have representatives in almost every country in the world. And there was this long, awkward pause. Finally, the young man couldn't contain himself. He asked the lady, what sort of business are you in? And then when she described what, he, what she did, he responded, you're not just in big business, you're in the biggest kind of business. Missions is big business to God because missions is about souls. Everybody say souls. Missions is an initiative that God has established whereby through the church, you, we are able to spread the gospel or advance the gospel throughout the earth. Every one of us sitting here today are uh, recipients of missions in some way, form, or fashion because the gospel was brought to us. It doesn't matter how it was brought to us. It doesn't matter whether you watched it off of a television or you heard it in person by speaking to one who was sharing their faith with you. Every one of us has been touched by missions. And because we've been touched by missions, now we're called to be participants in this endeavor that God has established so that we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He told his disciples, he says, go. Everybody say go. Jesus said we are to go and we are to make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who has been immersed into the life of Christ. A disciple is one who has... Who, who, used to be, who used to be alienated from God because of this thing called sin. And the scripture says that Christ was introduced to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ was in, introduced to us to let us know that even though we were separated from God because of sin, but that God made provision for our salvation by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And when Christ gave his life on the cross, he did so so that you and I might be redeemed and brought into relationship with God. And because we've been brought into relationship with God, now sits on our shoulders this responsibility of making sure that the gospel that has changed our lives has an opportunity to be introduced in the lives of others as well. And because of the impact the missions has had on us, it is only fitting that we embrace missions as a part of our calling today. You know, too often, and I'll, I'll address this in just a moment, too often, in, in Christendom, we tend to see our Christian walk as being about what we simply gain. And, and yes, we gain a lot from walking with Christ. But understand this morning that what God pours into you and I, what God gives you and I by way of our relationship with Him is not simply so that we might keep it for ourselves or that we might monopolize it to ourselves, but we're called to then share it with others. In the book of 3 John, turn your Bibles with me there in the book of 3 John, we're going to look at verse 3 to verse 8. This book was written by um, one of Jesus' disciples. It is believed that he was, it was written by the disciple known as John the Elder. 
Um, and and this is a, one of a, a series of, of letters that John would write. The first two letters, 1 John, 2 John, he wrote to a congregation. But in 3 John, we see him addressing specifically a man named Gaius, who was an elder in the local church. And even though we don't have a lot of um, background into this man or what he did for a living or the role that he played in the church, what we do know is that he was a man who was tremendously loved and respected by the local assembly, and even more so John. And the reason he was so much, so much respected and loved was because of his passion for missions, his passion for partnering with those that Christ sent to spread the gospel around the world. So I want us to read this morning our text. John chapter, third John, excuse me, beginning in verse three. The apostle writes, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faith, about your faithfulness, excuse me, to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing for the, dear friends, excuse me, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. In these words we just read, we see the Apostle John commending this man named Gaius. Again, we don't have a lot into his background and his story, but what we do know is that his, his actions, his behavior, his example, John considered worthy of commendation and worthy of affirmation. And what do we, what, what do we learn about John, about Gaius? Number one, that Gaius loved Christ. It was more than just lip service. He truly loved Jesus. But not only did Gaius love Jesus, but Gaius loved the truth about Jesus. The gospel had changed his life. The gospel had changed who he was. The gospel changed the trajectory of his life. And because of this, the scripture says that Gaius had a love for this truth. And not only did he love Christ, not only did he love the truth about Christ, but Gaius was committed to helping others to experience this change that knowing Jesus Christ brings. And we see Gaius express this love by his response to a group of individuals, traveling missionaries, even though the scripture doesn't use the word missionary, but we get the sense that these were individuals, whether it was a group of, of men or women, we don't know how many, but that when they came into the town where Gaius was based, and Gaius heard that they were in town, and he heard why they had come into town, that Gaius responded to them with wholehearted uh, hospitality and support. And when John heard what Gaius did to these strangers, people he did not know, but because of what they stood for, John commended Gaius. And in the scripture, we see how Gaius, how Gaius's impact or his response to uh, these strangers impacted them as they were called to, in their calling to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. We see, number one, that in, in welcoming these individuals with hospitality and with support, that Gaius was honoring the response of these individuals to answer Christ's call to go. Again, notice in verse 7a, John says that they came for the sake of the name. He's referring to the name of Jesus. In other words, he's saying that these individuals, even though you don't know them, you can identify with them because they, like you, have a relationship with Christ. And because they've, they, they've been called into Christ, these have answered the call to now go out into the world and to advance the name of Christ. And so John 
was commending Gaius for honoring the missionary's response to Christ's command to go. But not only that, we also see in the second part of verse 7 that in supporting these individuals, that Gaius was meeting a need that would have otherwise gone unmet. Notice in verse 7 he says that these individuals, um, the reality is that, you know, where else were they supposed to turn to for support? Because, you know, it, it was not uncommon for, for individuals back in those days to answer the call of God in their lives and to basically do so not knowing where their sustenance was going to come from, where their provision day-to-day was going to come from. And, and John said, you cannot expect these men and women to rely on people who are not in Christ. People who don't understand the value of the gospel, don't understand the value of advancing the gospel. So, in other words, it is up to us to step up and to support these individuals. And so, John was commending guys for the fact that he was meeting a need that otherwise would have gone unmet. Because if they could not turn to the church, to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to support them, then where were they supposed to turn? And then lastly, he helped spread the truth of Christ where it was needed. In verse 8, John suggests that by helping or supporting those who have been sent, that we are working together. Everybody say together. We are working together in the advancement of the truth. And so what I wanted to do in these next few minutes is just share with you, encourage you, by answering the question, how do we support those Christ has sent? Again, remember, we're talking about missions. We're talking about supporting those that Christ has sent to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. And the first way that we, are, that we, we see that we can do this, friends, is by acquainting ourselves with the progress and the urgency of the gospel. Every believer, whether you're clergy or whether you're congregation, every believer is called upon to bring the light of God's word to their community. Every one of us has the responsibility of making the truth about Christ known. And the reality is, is that you will have places that Christ has called you to, that Christ has planted you in, that you will have a greater voice, you will have a greater influence than I will ever have. And it's not to suggest that because I'm a pastor, that means that everywhere I go, that I will have a greater influence than anyone else around me. God has planted every single one of us. Pastor Steve has this term he coined several years ago called the maximum impact environment. It's this idea that, that where you are, where you live, you know, the relationships you're in, the friendships you have, the school you attend, the, the, the work, you, the, the, the job you serve at, where, your community at large, that God has put us there strategically. We didn't just happen to choose that job. We didn't just happen to live in that neighborhood. We didn't just happen to just go to that school. God put us in the environment that we're in so that he might use us. To accomplish his work in that environment. So every one of us is called to bring the light of God's word to our communities. But unfortunately too many Christians misunderstand the purpose of our daily walk with Christ. In the sense that we tend to think that the only thing that God is concerned about is what he does in me. But we need to to look beyond just what God does in us. But realize that even just as important is what God can do through us. Too often both as individuals and as a faith community, churches... Have the, the, we, we have a tendency of being inward focused. That is, we are more concerned about what we get when we should be just as concerned about that outward, outward expression of our faith. That is, the potential within each of us to be used by God to impact others. The good news, friends, is this. God never intended it to be an either-or situation. God never intended for us to simply be inward focused or to simply be outward focused. He wants us to balance both. 
And God's desire is to help us to excel through the power of the Holy Spirit so that as we are working as individuals and as the congregation to become more vibrant, to become more healthy, to become more blessed, but that we are also working to become more visible. Everybody say visible. God wants you to be more visible in our communities, to be visible in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Why? So that we are reaching the lost, so that they could come to Christ and that we can see them growing to full maturity in the Lord. Again, because, and I love this quote because I remember hearing this, uh, reading this years ago, it was by, by a pastor named Dietrich um, Bonhoeffer. He was, a, he was a theologian in Germany during World War II. He ended up losing his life in one of the concentration camps because of his stand against Nazism. But he writes, and I quote, we understand that the church is only the church when we exist for others. The church is the church because we are called to exist for others. And part of that inward-outward balance, friends, is living each day with a sense of urgency, knowing that just as you and I have a responsibility to live for Christ, we also have a responsibility to advance the spirit of the gospel. I like what John chapter 9 verse 4, where Jesus himself says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me because night is coming. Night is coming. When no one can work, it is this idea that, 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 that the opportunity that God has presented us with to be an influence for him, to, uh, to advance the gospel, um, is a limited time. We don't have forever to share the gospel. Um, God's timeline is that there will come a time and a day where, where God will initiate, um, as Revelations describes, if, you, if you're not ready, go and, go and check it out, where Revelations describes that God will bring a, a rapid end to, to, to the presence of sin, the rule of sin, the enemy, Satan, the enemy of our souls. And there's going to come a point where people will no longer have the opportunity to choose. And there must be a sense of urgency on our parts that we are willing to make sure that we are doing whatever we can to spread the gospel. Here's the reality, friends. People do not have forever to choose Christ. One day we die. And the scripture says that after death, the next step is what? Judgment. So when a person dies, you can't now, it can't be after death and now you're saying, well, God, well, I didn't realize it was going to be like this. So God, give me a second chance. It is too late at that point. While there is life, there is hope. While there is life, there is opportunity. And so we must sense an urgency to see to it that people that need to know Christ, they need to hear about Jesus, are introduced to Him. And as it concerns supporting those that God has sent to share the gospel around the world, we must acquaint ourselves with what is happening around the world. When you came in this morning, you saw on the chair you sat on a bookmark. I have my copy. I think I have one here. Where did I put one? When you arrived this morning, you had a bookmark that was sitting on your chair. And on that bookmark is some helpful information that I hope you will take advantage of only because um, it's important for us to know what is happening on the mission field. Thank you, Brother Michael. Can I borrow yours? Thank you, sir. On it, it says, help give Jesus to the world. Too often, we, we, we claim to not know what's happening around the world. I'm grateful for the opportunity we have to pray on Sundays during the service for different nations and for those who lead us in prayer because they share with us 
uh, some of the things that's going on in the nations we're praying for, it's, it's important for us to not only just pray, but to be aware of what's happening on ground. And, and for a lot of our missionaries around the world, we don't often know what's taking place. We don't often know the challenges that they're faced with. We don't often know the, the struggles that they, they deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so it is incumbent on us to make ourselves um, available to the information that's out there of what's happening on the mission field. And one of the things that you see on here uh, in the back, you notice there is a question that, that is asked. Will you spend yourself on missions? And, and one of the areas we focus on is, is, our, is, is this area of, of, of giving our attention to the needs in the mission field. And on there you see a link to uh, helpful information to help you be aware of what's happening in the mission field. One of the things that we're going to be working on over the next several weeks is provide a, a missions table, a missions uh, display here in, in the church where you can be able to go there and access magazines and resources that will tell you about what's happening around the world so that if anything, it will help you to know how to pray, to know how to intercede for those who are serving on the mission field. But not only do we partner with those who have been sent by giving our attention to what is happening on the mission field, but we partner with them by praying for God's blessing on their welfare and on their work. Because again, just as we tend to focus inward, we also underestimate the value and the impact that our prayers can have on those who are serving on the mission field. We don't have time to show a video this morning. Um, we may find a way to, to get that video to you. But there was a video I came across of a couple who served as missionaries in Guatemala at a time when the country was going through a lot of upheaval and, and just national crisis, civil war type stuff going on. And these missionaries um, experienced what, what can only be described as a miracle that, was, that, that, that they experienced on the heels of, of somebody 1,500 miles away praying for them. This individual said that they were woken up about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the night, and they just this missionary was on their heart, and the Lord drew them to a particular scripture, and they began to pray that scripture over that missionary, not knowing that what the missionary was going through that very night. Sometimes we, we, fail, to, we fail to understand the power of intercession. That when we go before the Lord to pray for those who are serving on the mission field, we don't have to know what they're dealing with specifically in that moment. But when, when the Lord puts them on their hearts, that the first thing we do is we pray. And we're believing God to move in their situation, to move in their lives. Somebody once said about prayer, who, who, he who is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. He who is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. And it is not our power, it is the power of God to release the move of the Holy Spirit in any situation, in any circumstance, and to bring change for God's glory. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, Paul writes that we are to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And he says in verse 3, Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And so, as I was preparing this message, there were several areas that I wanted to invite us or challenge us to be praying for daily if we can for our missionaries. Number one, I want us to pray that God will open doors for our missionaries because not only do our new missionaries need open doors to these nations, but open doors to these citizens so that people's hearts might be open to the gospel. They might be receptive to the presentation of the gospel. But not only do we pray for open doors, we are called to pray that God will give me our missionaries boldness and strength to overcome the fear of pain and rejection, and that the Holy Spirit would give them the words to communicate effectively in other cultures and languages. Not only that, I believe we also are called to pray for their protection, particularly in places where they are exposed to danger and to personal harm, to hatred and to violence. It is not uncommon for us to hear of missionaries being martyred even in this day and time. 
And we must pray fervently for their protection, that God will keep them safe, and that God will change the hearts of those who are opposed to the truth. We can also pray that our missionaries be effective and productive in their outreach, that as, as, they, as they are facing a harvest that is not always, always willing to be brought in, they're responding to with opposition, with difficulties, with challenges, that God will give our missionaries the strength to endure. Seasons where sometimes missionaries may go months, weeks without a convert. And they can be easily discouraged. They begin to ask themselves, God, is this my calling? Is this what you want me to do? Because I'm not seeing results. That they can be discouraged just as anyone could. But that God would allow the seeds that they plant to yield results. And that many will come to learn and to respond to the love of Christ. That we can pray that God will remove obstacles to the spread of the gospel. And that God will give them strength. Excuse me, strength in the face of opposition or difficulty. And finally, and by no means is this exhaustive, but finally, that you and I would pray that God would preserve our missionaries. Because you know what? Our missionaries deal with stress. They deal with heavy workload. They deal with conflict as they serve. They deal with financial uncertainties. But that God would meet everyone at their needs by providing opportunities for them to be able to, especially those who serve in isolated places, there are some missionaries that will tell us that once I hit the mission field, once I get to a particular place where I'm called to serve, you won't be able to hear from me for months. And there's that expectation that that, that is part of the sacrifice that they are called to make because they live, they're, they're serving in remote areas. And so because of that, they, many times they can, they can feel isolated, feel lonely, but we can pray that in those environments that God will provide for them rest, that God will provide for them peace, that God will give relaxation, He will provide for them the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual renewal that they need. But here's the point. When we commit to praying for these that Christ has sent, it not only strengthens our relationship with God, but it also enables our hearts to be open to Him so that He can work in us and work through us. Again, information about that is provided on, your, on, your, on the bookmark you've been given on the, under the section of spending prayer. But here's the last point before we close. We support our missionaries not only by praying for them, but we partner with them. And we do so by giving financially to support their daily needs on the mission field. Again, as we tend to focus inward, as we tend to underestimate the power of our prayers, we can also overlook the role that our financial support can have in helping the missionaries stay on task. The, the Assemblies of God is just one ministry that sends our missionaries all over the world. In fact, missions was really the, the foundation for why the Assemblies of God was established. It was a group of individuals who came together and they determined that, that, that God had called them to start a movement that would be focused on spreading the gospel around the world. So really, the Assemblies of God's um, reason for existence wasn't simply to establish churches here, but it was so that they might send missionaries out into the ends of the earth. That was really the focus. And, and, and that remains our commitment even to this day. But did you know that for the average Assemblies of God missionary who senses a call to serve in the mission field, that the, 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 the average tenure from the time that they express to church leadership that they want to serve in missions to the time that they actually set foot on the place God has called them is usually two years. And within those two years, those missionaries have to go through extensive training, extensive vetting. Um, they have to learn the language of the places that they're going to be going to, learn the culture of the places they're going to be going to. But here's the other part that we don't often think about. They have to spend literally between 12 and 18 months raising their entire budget by visiting churches and reaching out to friends and family and individuals 
to say, hey, I'm called to serve in X and Y, you know, X, such and such a place, and I need your support. This is my monthly budget that we've determined will, will be required to, uh, to fund operations and to fund day-to-day -day living. And these missionaries have to raise 100% of their budget before they even allow to step foot on the nation that God has called them to. And the reason that that, that is in place is because we recognize that that when our missionaries step foot on that, on that place that God has called them to, we don't want them worrying about their day-to-day -day sustenance. We don't want them worrying about where they're going to live, how they're going to commute from place to place. We don't want them having to worry about what resources they're going to have access to to share the gospel. We want them to hit the ground running. But the ability to do that hinges on our willingness to say, I will support you financially. Missionary support ranges anywhere from as little as $2,200 a month to as much as $7,500 a month. That's how much these men and women have to raise. And once they raise 100% of their funds, then they're able to go out and serve what usually is the first of a three to four year term. But again, the point I want to make this morning is this, that the longer missionaries have to wait, think about this, the longer they have to wait, it means the longer that outreach has to wait. And, and, and how awesome would it be that every time a missionary steps up and said, God has called me to, to such and such a place, that, that, that we are able to cut down the amount of time that they have to wait to raise their budget. Because we, the church, are willing to say, God, use me. I, I, I know I can't do everything, but I will do my part. And I'm not going to rely on, I'm not going to wait for everybody else to, to step up. God, I will step up because you've impressed them in my heart to do so. When we support our missionaries, we are living up to the mandate in Galatians 6.2 where Paul writes that we are to carry each other's burdens and in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. Missions is about partnering with men and women who have answered the call of God to go to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. And every time we give, we are helping them to do just that. One of the ways that we've been able to do that ever since I came to Brazewood, uh, you know, back in 1995, and can I tell you this, even though I grew up in the church, I was not familiar with this concept of missions until I came to the U.S., until I came to Brazewood. And, and it, was, it, was, it, was such a, it was such a moving, moving um, experience for me the first time I, I, I learned about missions because I was, I, was, I was confronted with the needs that our missionaries face every single day. When you hear about the stories of what's happening in the mission field and some of the challenges that these men and women face, and that in spite of it all, they are still passionate. I mean, you see some of them, the way they talk, you're thinking, do you not know what you're going to face? Do you not realize the challenges you're going to experience? And yet you are still willing. But it's because God has put in their hearts a burden for the people that he's called them to. And what way can we support them other than by financially investing in their mission? The first time I saw this faith promise card, I was excited because it became a tangible way that I could step up and say, God, use me to, to support these missionaries. I mean, I was a college student at the time. I really didn't have much of, a, much of a job. I didn't really make much money. But it was an opportunity for me to turn to God and say, God, I'm going to trust that, that whatever amount you lay on my heart to support our missionaries every month that you're going to provide. And God did. He came through. He always provided. He always met that need so that I could do my part. And I want to invite us to do the same as well today. This morning we have faith promise cards that we want to invite you to, to prayerfully complete today. Uh, there is no obligation. There is no coercion. Um, the reason it's called a faith promise is, is not that we're asking to simply pledge based on your own ability. But what we're saying is go to God and say, God, 
I believe that missions is the call you've placed in my life to support. Even though, yeah, I may not get a chance to go, but God, you've called me to support those that you've sent. How much do you want me to, to give? And that I will trust you to make provision for that every single month. And that you're able to take a card like this and you, you, you put the information on there, you put your name, you put the address. And the reason we ask you to do this is so we can be able to help keep track. Not that, we, not that we're going to call you and say, hey, you've not given towards your pledge. That is none of our business. But it is to help us to keep track of how much we are, we are trusting God for in the coming year that we're going to support missions in. But when you fill out that card, there are two parts to it. You will notice that, that there's a way you can tear this off. This part is, this, is the part you keep for yourself, for your own records, to remind you of how much you're committed to a gift to the Lord in missions. This is the part you turn to, you, you, you return to us so that we can again keep track of, of, of how much has been, has been pledged uh, to be given to missions. But the idea, friends, is that all of us are saying, God, use me, use me. Whether it's one dollar that you're able to give, or more, it doesn't matter what the amount is, but that we are all doing the part that God has called us to play. John commended Gaius, and he presented Gaius as an example of how we are to help advance the cause of the gospel, because Gaius is willing to partner with those that Christ has sent. The question I wanna ask you this morning is simply this, are you willing? Are you willing to partner with those that Christ has sent, that he sent all over the world? Some are serving in places where we can't even, we can't even, they can't even publicly tell us where they're serving because of the sensitivity of the nature of the work in the environments that they're called to. But missions is all about being obedient to the opportunity that Christ gives us to fulfill this gospel. And again, if we are to be obedient to the Great Commission, friends, you need to keep this in mind, we must be involved in missions. We cannot fulfill the gospel if we are not supportive of the initiative Christ has called us to invest in. So like Gaius this morning, I just want to quickly challenge you. Let your love for Christ, let your love for His truth, and your desire to see others experience the same change and transformation you've experienced because of your relationship with Christ be your motivation for getting involved in missions today. To pray, to be aware of what's happening in the mission field, to give financially. And, and I, I truly believe with all my heart that as, as we all do our part, that God's going to use our gifts to empower, to enable, to equip those he has called. And we're going to see this gospel go to the ends of the earth. That's God's promise to us in his word, that this gospel will be preached in all the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. I'm looking forward to Christ's return. But while I look forward to his return, I'm also mindful of the fact that there are still many people who do not know Jesus. And if they were to die today, they would spend eternity separated from God. And friend, it's a reality that I can't even begin to imagine. And it scares me to death knowing that a person can miss out on an opportunity to know Christ simply because they never got an opportunity to hear the message. So let's invest in those that Christ has sent this morning and allow God to use us to partner with those he has sent. Would you buy his with me this morning in prayer? One of the things that I want to challenge us this morning as we consider the level of our involvement in missions today is this. We cannot be used by God if he doesn't first have our hearts. Remember what I said to you earlier about the importance of balance? That God wants us to be inward focused, but also outward focused. God's desire is to work in us so that he can work through us. Now, of course, God can work through anyone he chooses, whether they choose to serve him or not. But the reality is how much greater, how much more blessed can we be knowing that what we do for him is inspired by what God has done in us.
the value of that personal experience that we have of a relationship with Christ. You're here today, you may say, Pastor John, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm intrigued by this idea of being used by God to to touch people's lives around the world. But I have to be honest with you, Pastor John, I don't have a relationship with Christ. What you're asking us to give, I don't have myself, but I want it today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he died to save me from the power of sin and to make me a child of God, and I want that for myself today. Maybe this is something that you're going to be doing for the very first time. You've never done it before. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor John, you know what? There was a time in my life where I was serving the Lord and I was living for him. But along the way, I just allowed the cares of this world to just choke out my passion and desire for God. And I drifted from God. I drifted from his heart. I drifted from his purpose and plan for my life. But I realized that I belong with him. And your commitment today is to say, God, I want to be yours again. I want to invite everyone to pray this prayer with me. And more than just repeating words, if you're here today and you say, Pastor John, it is the intent of my heart to give my life to the Lord, whether it be for the first time or as a recommitment, pray this prayer with me. Mean it in your heart. And the Bible says that on the, upon the heels of our confession of faith, that God will forgive. God will forgive. He will break the parson of our lives. He will change our identity. We will go from being alienated from God to now we are sons and daughters of God. Why? Because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Accept the truth regarding sin. Confess your sin before God. Seek forgiveness today and live free through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now because I am in need of your forgiveness and your mercy today. I believe you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I admit today that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I invite you to be my savior right now. Please come into my life. Please forgive me of all my sins and live in me as my Lord from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from the power of sin. In Jesus' name, amen.